Just declare you are you are holy, you are pure. I just pray, Lord, that uh, you would rule in our hearts, Lord, that uh, your your holiness will will take over, Lord, as as we yield to your Spirit. In Jesus' name, Amen. So we continue this morning in our study of the Sermon on the Mount. We're in uh, chapter 5 still, uh, beginning with verse 27. And uh, there's a guy, I don't know how to pronounce his name, Giglieri, I believe, Michael P. Giglieri. Uh, He wrote a book called Over the Edge, Death in the Grand Canyon. Now, we used to live about an hour from the Grand Canyon. We didn't go there much. But uh, it's it's a pretty amazing thing. But he chronicles nearly uh, 700 deaths that have occurred in the Grand Canyon since the 1870s. And, uh, you know, of course, I don't think most people are shocked that uh, fatal mishaps occur there. Uh, after all, the Grand Canyon is 277 miles long, up to 18 miles wide. It attains a depth of over a mile, 6,000 feet. The extreme temperatures, which often exceed 100 degrees, can quickly lead to a heat stroke and a dehydration. So how do, how do most of the deaths occur there? Air crashes, believe it or not, account for the largest number of deaths over the Grand Canyon, yeah, these, tour, these tour planes. And uh, floods have claimed the lives of some of the river rafters, uh, you know, some... Some people have taken their own lives. But according to Giglieri, a number of people have gone over the edge and fallen to their death through their own carelessness. Uh, specifically, they, they ignored the uh, posted warnings and confidently walked out onto uh, dangerous uh, precipices. For example, in 1992, a 38-year-old father jokingly tried to frighten his teenage daughter by leaping off onto a guard wall. He flailed his arms and he pretended to lose his balance. And then he comically fell on the canyon side of the ledge that he assumed to be safe. But sadly, after ignoring numerous warning signs, he lost his footing, fell 400 feet into the void below. In 2012, an 18-year-old woman who was hiking on the North Rim Trail decided to venture off the beaten path to have her picture taken at a spot known as Inspiration Point. And as she sat down, as she sat down on the ledge of the 1,500-foot deep canyon, the rocks gave way, and she plummeted to her death. And these these deaths are tragic, uh, but they were completely avoidable. Uh, you know, does, does anyone truly want his or her last words to be, ah, look how close I can get to the rim without a fall. Uh, you know, he says, call me overly cautious, but without a hang glider or parachute attached to my body, I can see the canyon just fine 10, year, 10 yards back from the precipice. And yet many of us approach sin by asking a question, how close can I get without crossing the line? And we avoid God's warnings, his warning signs, and and edge right up to disaster, uh, confident that we, like 
or unlike other people, can avoid the crash. You know, like the the child who listens to the parent's warning and then does everything to push the boundaries. Uh, we rush to the edge of sin with a false sense of, of security. And so in today's text, Matthew five twenty seven through 30, Jesus uh, addresses an area where where many people court disaster in their lives. Uh, this, this is an area where many people try to uh, edge up as close as they can to, to that line. And they walk right up to the edge of the cliff and fall right off. And in doing so, they, they bring destruction upon themselves, their families, their friends, uh, their their you name it, everybody in their lives. Uh, read with me Matthew 5, beginning with verse 27. Jesus says this, You have heard that it was said, You shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away, for it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it's better for you to lose one of your members than your whole body go into hell. Oh Lord, this is a uh, this is a this is a topic that that affects uh, so many people, so many families, and um, we'll, we'll we'll realize as we get into this that it affects every one of us in in our hearts, Lord. So, Lord, I just I just pray that. Uh, that would be our desire, what we just sang, that you would create in us a, a clean heart. So this is, uh, this is another sin of the heart. Last time, you know, in the, the verses prior, Jesus was talking about sins of the heart. You know, we might feel pretty good about ourselves because we have, haven't actually engaged in, in homicide. Um, you know, it's, it, it fascinates us, though, right? We... we watch TV shows about murderers and murderers. And uh, we, we, we look at these people who commit murder and, and we're appalled and we wonder, you know, how, how can somebody do that? What, what causes a person to, to be like that? You know, especially the, the serial killers. I just, I just don't get it. Yeah, you know, these, these people have a, an issue for sure. And they go on to interview the victims' families and friends, the the murderers' families and friends. Sometimes, and you just you just go, "Ooh, I'm glad I'm not that person," you know. How about murder mysteries? You know, that's that's a genre that uh, people have been getting into. I, I get nervous when when my w- wife reads murder mysteries. <laughs> you know. and I've, I've 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 told her that you know. Trying to get ideas, or... <laughs> and now Jesus gives us another example, another example of, of sins of the heart. You know, he takes this commandment from the Old Testament where it says, "Thou shalt not commit adultery." And most of us, again, just like with murder, we'd say, "Okay, check. I've never been, I've never committed adultery. I've never been unfaithful to my wife or, or husband." And Jesus said, that's all good, but God cares about what's in your heart. He cares about your, your thoughts. He cares about your, your intent. And we're in a battle, aren't we? You know, the, the world is our battlefield. This, this world, the Bible says, is controlled by, by the enemy. 
And we're, we're assaulted uh, continuously in, in this area. Uh, you know, and, and the world will mock us as we uh, try to seek a, a life that, that is pure. Uh, when, uh, when Jimmy Carter was, was the governor of, of Georgia, uh, he was interviewed by a magazine, a very worldly magazine. I'm not sure why he did this, but uh, he was asked about this, this topic of, of adultery, and Carter said this. He said, I, I, I try not to commit a deliberate sin. I recognize I'm going to do it anyhow because I'm human and I'm tempted. And Christ set some almost impossible standards for us. Christ said, I tell you, if anyone looks on a woman with lust, has it, let's see, looks on a woman with lust, has in his heart already committed adultery. And then he went on to say, I've, I've looked on a lot of women with lust. I've committed adultery in my heart many times. This is something that God recognizes I will do, and I have done it, and God forgives me for it. Well, he was mocked. He, I mean, he was just unmercifully uh, raked over the proverbial coals of, of the press when, when this happened. And he, he later said that his, his comments probably cost him the, uh, the, the election against General Ford. But he never took back his words or, or his meaning. You know, we can expect to be criticized for, for taking a stand for, for purity, for sexual purity and upholding the standard that God has given us. And, uh, but, you know, we're, we're in peril if we, um, if we pay fast and loose with, with what Christ says here. You know, this command uh, not to commit adultery. And when we commit adultery of the heart, as Jesus talked about, we, we find ourselves on that precipice. We find ourselves on a, a very slippery slope. And so I'd, I'd like to look at a couple examples from the Old Testament. Uh, first, uh, King David in Second Samuel 11. It said, in the spring of the year, when it was time for kings to go out to battle, David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained in Jerusalem. It happened late one afternoon when David arose from his couch and was walking on the roof of the king's house, and he saw from the roof a woman bathing, and this woman was very beautiful. And David sent and inquired about this woman. And one said, is, this, is not this Bathsheba the daughter of Eliam and the wife of Uriah the Hittite? So David sent messengers and took her, and she came to him, and he lay with her. Now she had been purifying herself from her uncleanness, and then she returned to her house. And the woman conceived, and she sent and told David, I am pregnant. Um, Paul the Apostle Paul gives us the commandment to do all we can to, to avoid this kind of mess. In 1 Corinthians six eighteen through 20, he says this. He says, flee. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you? whom you have from God. You are not your own, for you've been bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Uh, Flee. You know, this this word means flee. It means run away. 
uh, escape, you know, avoid. That's what we're commanded to do, you know. Let's not get as close to the edge of the cliff as we as we can with this. Back away from it. You know, there, there are many enticements. Uh, adultery of the heart can take many forms. It can happen in many ways. Technology is, is a blessing. Great blessing, but it can also take us to places where we should not go. Uh, you know, what's, what's on your computer? What's on your phone? Uh, what's, what's on your television? Paul says flee. God's word says flee from sexual immorality. And here we, we look at David. He's, this is a man who the Bible says was a man after God's own heart. You know, he wrote half the Psalms. Powerful king. He was a great hero of the faith, but look look what happened when he went up to the edge. And, you know, the Bible tells it how it is. The Bible does not whitewash these stories to make the heroes look good. The Bible, God's word, does not, does not sugarcoat it because God wants us to uh, see what can happen to even people who are after God's own heart. And there's a lesson here for all of us. And we, we see the progression of David's sin in, the, in this story. You know, first it's out, or first it, it says that, uh, you know, David, you know, this, this, is, this is when kings were out to battle. Where was David? You know, he, he sent everybody else out to battle and he stayed home. This sets the stage. It provides the environment for, for his sin. Now, next, from the rooftop, David sees this, this woman, uh, Bathsheba, bathing. Okay, uh, red flag, David. You know, what, what if David had thought in his heart, this is not good, I better go inside. I should not be looking at this, this woman bathing. That's what he should have done. That would have been the end of it. We will, we will all be tempted. You know, in, in our world, temptation is, is everywhere. Go to the store and stand, out, stand in the checkout line. Uh, you know, temptation to sin is it's right there in front of us through, throughout the day. One click away, uh, you know, what is the correct action? It's to flee. That's what David should have done. Instead, what did he do? He kept looking. He saw that she was beautiful, very beautiful. And this, this desire welled up in, in his flesh. He inquired about her. And he just keeps going down the road to danger, closer and closer to that, to that line that he should never have gotten up to. When did... Oh, and then he finds she's the wife of another man. You know, just, he just keeps digging himself deeper and deeper here. You know, this, this is really where he should have stopped. You know, David, you, you should know better. Um, and then he took her and he, he lay with her. Um, when did the adultery take place? In his heart, yeah. Long before the act. According to Jesus, David had an adulterous heart at this point. Flee. We need to flee. Don't don't flirt with disaster. And we know the rest of the story. He David tried to cover it up and ended up being a murderer as well. 
Another example is, is Joseph. Uh, he's a much better example for us. Joseph's my hero here. Look at Genesis 39, 6 through 10. It says, when Joseph, or now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. And remember, Joseph was uh, working for Potiphar in, in Egypt. Joseph had been uh, sold into slavery by his brothers and gained favor. Working for Potiphar, his master. After a time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, Behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house. He has put me, or he has put everything that he has in my charge. He is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except you, because you're his wife. Then how can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And as she spoke to Joseph day after day, he would not listen to her to lie down beside her or be with her. What did Joseph do? He fled. He got out of there. And if, even if he was tempted, uh, he didn't give in. I think we can learn from Joseph. David's adultery, adulterous heart led him to commit the act. He covered it up. He killed Uriah. Uh, and, and when the prophet Nathan confronted him, remember that? He said, you're the one. What did, he, what did David say to, to Nathan? He said, I have sinned against the Lord. You know, we can also learn from David. Um, Sin has devastating effects. It, it can cause so much destruction. Uh, adultery breaks up marriages, rips apart families. Uh, you know, so many pastors and church leaders have morally fallen, have, have failed and lost their ministries because of this, discrediting themselves. To, um, churches have been decimated by, by such things, and it all begins in the heart. We need to guard our hearts. James gives us a description of, of sin. The, I like to call this the anatomy of sin. In, in James 1, 14 through 15, he says, Each person is tempted when he's lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. But it all begins in the heart when one is enticed by, by his own desire and the results are, are deadly. I'd also like to point out in, in Job, this, this is kind of cool. If you read uh, Job verse uh, 31.1 where he says, I've made a covenant with my eyes. How, can, how then can I gaze at a virgin? You know, he made a, a, a conscious decision and a covenant with his eyes to, to guard himself and, and what he looks at. He, he determined that he would not look at a woman with, with lust in his eyes. But David sinned against the Lord. Joseph refused to sin against the Lord. Now the world would call adultery of the heart or, or even the act of, an, of adultery uh, 
an indiscretion, maybe. The world might even praise somebody for for sinning in this way, but Jesus says, no, this is serious business. And he instructs us to take radical, drastic means to deal with sin. According to him, we need to we need to take or decisive, not divisive, decisive and radical action against those things that that cause us to sin. And we all battle this this tendency to sin. But you know, those who are in Christ, we've been saved from the penalty of sin, but we still suffer from the lure of, of sin. And this is why we need to be continuously renewed, sanctified by the Holy Spirit sanctified by by God's word, made holy. You know, our our sanctification begins at the moment we're born again, the moment we're saved, but it's also progressive. We need to continuously rely on the Holy Spirit who indwells us to to deal with our, our sinful tendencies, our sinful hearts. We confess when we sin. We we repent. We turn to him for help. We need him. We've, we, I've been saying this last couple sermons. We need him every moment. Every every day of, of every year, every hour. Uh, what is it that causes us to sin? Yeah, that, that verse in, in James just, just lays it right out. You know, sometimes we like to put the blame on, on somebody else when, when we sin. Sometimes we, well, frequently we, we like to blame the, the enemy, the devil. But, you know, the, the, this passage makes it gl- clear that, that we do fine sinning just on our own. Uh, we're, we're personally responsible. We're, we're lured, it says, and, and, and uh, enticed by our own desire, and the result's not good. We struggle, though. Uh, the Apostle Paul in Romans seven eighteen through 20 talks about this struggle that we have with sin. He says, For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh, for I have a desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do, no, I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but the sin who dwells within me. Do you see the uh, almost like angst that he has here? He says, I, I can't do this. I can't do this on my own. And as we continue to read in that passage, he comes to the conclusion, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ. We need him. Now, nothing in the Christian life uh, is, is passive. We can't just sit still and wait for the Lord to uh, bring us relief from our, our propensity to sin. You know, he, he gives us strength so that we can resist he, he makes it clear that we need to be proactive in, in this passage here. Uh, we need to take action. We need to, we need to take steps to remove the things that cause us to stumble. He, 
He uses hyperbole here. None of us would have eyes or hands or feet or or heads if if we removed those those parts of our body that uh, are, are involved in sin. But he's showing us what what the stakes are. Sin is is serious. We need to take it seriously. Jesus points out that how the different parts of our body uh, participate in in the commission of sin. He, Jesus says, if your if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It's better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into hell. Well, you know, with my eyes, I I see things that I shouldn't see. I, I gaze on things that I shouldn't gaze on. In in First John five, the Apostle John mentions the the lust of the eye. Remember that in that passage where he says, "Love not the world." In in Genesis three six, it says that the woman saw the tree that it was good for food, that it was a delight to the eyes. You know how how are our eyes involved? Shakespeare said the eyes are the windows to your soul. You know, we can be deeply affected by what we see. How about my feet? You know, my my feet take me to places where I ought not go. The Bible says a lot about being on the right path versus the the wrong path. Proverbs 4.14 says, Do not enter the path of the wicked. Do not walk in the way of the evil. Avoid it. Do not go on it. Turn away from it and pass on. He's saying the same thing here. Flee. Jesus said it would be better not to have feet than to have feet that take you ultimately to hell. How about my hands? You know, it's, it's, it's with my hands that I, I pick up things that I shouldn't pick up. It's, it's with my hands that I, I may harm others. And uh, Psalm 144 Verse four, Psalm 140, verse 4 says, Guard me, O Lord, from the hands of the wicked. Preserve me from violent men. You know, with my hands, I, I do things that I shouldn't do. Jesus' point is that we... <coughs> we need to take radical, immediate, uh, decisive action to remove these things that, that cause us to sin. You know, do you, do you have... Do you have trouble when you sit down at your computer and, and turn on the internet? Get rid of your internet access. Uh, now that'd be hard for many of us, wouldn't it? You know, is that is that drastic? Yes, it is, but that's not as drastic as gouging out your eyes. Um, you know, are, are you tempted to abuse alcohol? Get rid of it. Remove it from your house. Throw it away. That's that's far less drastic than than cutting your hands off. You know, there's, there's plenty of things that we willingly allow in our lives that tempt us. We need to get rid of those things that cause us to uh, succumb to temptation. This is the proactiveness that Jesus commands. Listen to what David says in Psalm 24, 2 through 6. He says, Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? Who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. 
He will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. So David doesn't say, I'm going to do better. I'm going to try harder. No, he says to God, give me clean hands and a pure heart. This is utter reliance on the Lord. Well, we're all guilty. We all have impure thoughts. You know, we we all experience what James describes here, being drawn away by our own desires. And we, we need the Lord in these instances. We need his spirit. We need his power. Let's be people who take his word seriously. Let's take sin seriously and, and deal with it quickly and, and decisively. You know, Paul talks in Second Timothy about the last days, about people in the last days who, among other things, will be lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Let's not be those people. Let's... Let's acknowledge we need Christ. We need to call on him in in times of weakness. And we need to be obedient to his command. Hebrews 4, 15 through 16 says it well. Speaking of Jesus, we, we do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Let's pray. Uh, Father, we we acknowledge and we we recognize and realize our our weakness. Uh, We we confess, Lord, that we're we're prone to wander. We're prone to leave the God God we love. We have a tendency, Lord, to, to stray Thank you, Lord, for being the good shepherd who gathers us back in. Lord, give us, give us clean hands. Give us pure hearts, Lord. Let us uh, incline our hearts and our thoughts towards you, Lord. Deliver us from, from unclean thoughts. Help us, Lord, to, to set our minds and, and our affections on the things above. We thank you, Lord, for uh, your salvation. Every day, Lord, we thank you for your spirit who, who indwells us and empowers us to, uh, to live lives that are, that are pleasing to you. Uh, Lord, our trust is in you. And we pray in the powerful and wonderful name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen.